Pastor Danielle. I'm one of the pastors here at Spark Church, and we are going to be continuing in our Gospel of John series. So thanks for continuing to join and journey with us. If you have a Bible, feel free to always open it up. If you need a Bible, we have lots that you can grab, and um, you can also, you know, open up your phone Bible, and I'll believe that you're not scrolling Facebook. Or not Facebook, that's like old school. What's the, you're TikToking, so I don't know exactly all the things. Um, but I know that all my mother's friends are still on Facebook. So. Yeah, I'm a little ringy, but I think we'll get it all sorted because we have amazing crew. And if you want to volunteer, actually, we have some openings in the audio tech department. Let's get started here, and we will um, pray and turn our hearts in worship towards the study of God's word. Jesus, thank you so much for bringing us here together, for making us aware of your presence, um, for being in this place. We ask right now that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we'd be drawn closer together and closer to you, that we would have an encounter with you this afternoon through the study of your word and through the listening in of events that happened 2,000 years ago that we're still talking about today. Thank you for the preservation of your words, and thank you for the ways in which we can continue to draw close to you and imagine what it would have been like to walk with you. Um, We are grateful and humbled by the invitation to be here today. Thank you for everything. We give you all praise and glory in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to be taking a quick look at John chapter 13. Now, as we've been going through our John narrative here in the gospel, we've talked a lot about how we're in sort of what's called farewell discourses. Those farewell discourses are going to cover several chapters. And this is really when Jesus is, he's had the Passover meal with his disciples. He's in the upper room. He's washed some feet. He's um, had at least four cups of wine, and they've probably had meat for one of the first times that entire year in celebrating their Passover feast. Um, He has had a weird cryptic conversation about Judas um, and all of those things, and and Pastor Tom did a great job last week talking about um, betrayal and reconciliation and brother stories. So we're going to look at John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. Jesus says this to the disciples. I give you a new commandment that you should love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, You will be forgiven for thinking he might be repeating himself. But if you take a look at the state of the world, and yes, even the state of the church, maybe he should have said it a few more times, yeah? So here we go. Jesus is like, uh, here's a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I've loved you, love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Love one another. Okay, in case you're unclear, love one another. Um, at the very beginning here, I just want to call out the fact that it's interesting that Jesus say, like, a new commandment. This is not the first time ever in our scriptures, Hebrew scriptures, Christian scriptures, or Old Testament, New Testament, from Genesis through Revelation. This is not the first time that people have been told to love one another. We just said it, which is from Mark 12, but it's from also Deuteronomy and Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. There's lots of verses in our Bible about loving one another, but this time, Jesus is putting a specific emphasis on it, that this is how people will know that you and I belong to him, is by our love, love for one another. And also, note this one line, just as I've loved you. 
So Jesus isn't asking us to do something that Jesus hasn't done himself. Jesus is inviting us into what he's been doing this entire time. Now, there'll be echoes of this throughout, so let's just grab one more. We're going to skip ahead two chapters. I implore you to go home and read them. Um, But in John chapter 5, verses 12 through 17, Jesus will continue with the same kind of dialogue. It'll say, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, but I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The title of the sermon, love one another. Yeah. The theme of love in the Gospel of John is pervasive. Now, I think many of us would know right away that if you go to a sporting event or any type of, like, let's make a big sign, you'll see the ubiquitous John 3.16 because it starts right away. For God so loved the world that God gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. But that's not necessarily the only time that the Gospel of John talks about love. Here's just a few Um, So I think we can actually say that love, even just doing a word study on the word love, um, is going to keep you preoccupied in John for quite some time. And we would just say John's sort of main theme, echoed by the Beatles later on, is all that you need is love, right? We can hang out. John's got light. He's got creation. He's got light and darkness. But he has a strong emphasis on love. Or either John or the person who wrote the Gospel of John. And you can go back to week one for the debate on all of that. But we're zeroing in on this command. Now, this command is the simplest and clearest and hardest command of all, isn't it? We could sit here and say, I don't think we have any question as to what Jesus means. Love one another. We get that. We're supposed to do it. We're supposed to do it the way Jesus did it. The way Jesus has been loving us. We're supposed to do that for one another. But this is very hard to do, is it not? Or am I the only one in the room? who's had a challenge trying to figure out how to love others in this world. This command to love is given by Jesus, who has done and will do all that love can do. Jesus has lived and will love out the greatest, live out the greatest display of love possible as we, he pushes towards and turns his face towards the cross. Now, right here in the middle of this, I want to hearken back to a message we gave at the very beginning of our Gospel of John series on rabbi and discipleship. Now, when we talk about what Jesus is asking the disciples to do in this upper room, please note, this isn't just to some sort of random group of people. Jesus is saying this command to a group of people that he has spent three years or so, give or take, of his life with. And the rabbi discipleship system 2,000 years ago in in Second Temple period and beyond was a system where you spent the entirety of your time with this rabbi and mentor. It's not like a leadership series. I, de- I got a degree in leadership and I, let's say, for example, and I went and I took, or I did a Bible study on leadership. We met once a week for six weeks. It was fantastic. That's not discipleship. 
Discipleship is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, constantly. When the rabbi stands up, you stand up. When the rabbi sits down, you sit down. When the rabbi says a prayer, you say the prayer. When the rabbi uses the facilities, you go in and learn the prayer that the rabbi prays before and after using the facilities. You learn all of it. When the rabbi sleeps, you also sleep. Where the rabbi goes, you go. Where the rabbi stays, you stay. Okay? So when Jesus says, I'm giving you a command to love one another the way I've loved you, it's not just some sort of nice poetry. Do what I've been doing for you and with you and what you've been practicing for all of these years. Do that. Follow me. It's this greatest game of follow the leader that you've ever experienced or seen in your life. And Paul hearkens to this in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This isn't, hey, you take your idea of love and then somebody else will take their idea of love and then we'll just kind of sort of figure out what that love looks like. Hallmark has their ideas. The Hallmark Channel has an idea. Lifetime has an idea. We all have our own ideas. Shakespeare has an idea. Weird, some interesting and weird ideas. Um, Sonnets have ideas, right? So we could go through all of those different things and say, well, what's your idea of love and isn't that interesting? This is actually set very specifically in the life and teachings of Jesus and in Jesus's behavior as he lays down his life and goes towards the cross. So in essence, he is saying, love one another in the same way I have loved you. So here's the question I'd like to ask all of us today. And this might seem like Christianity 101, but I don't think we've perfected it yet. So I'm going to ask a question. Have you experienced this love of Jesus? Has this been something that's taken hold of your life with ferocious intensity? So we can all say, of course, Jesus loves you, right? We know that people have it on bumper stickers. Jesus loves you. We might footnote that, but then again, he loves everybody, so that's not maybe saying much. But no, he really, like, loves you, right? He loves you. And I think for this concept to sit, not just in our head, of like, oh, yeah, no, I know, Jesus loves me. For that concept to start to push down and find a home within the very essence of our entire being, of who we are and how we live and walk in this world, this is not easy work. And a lot of times, our capacity to be able to understand and receive love has much to do, including the love of God, has much to do with whether or not we were raised in homes and in communities and societies where we were loved and cared for. So quick plug to Kevin's book club on Monday nights and Crispin Mayfield's book, Attached to God, who talks about the science of attachment and faith. That a lot of the ways in which we have, and and you can watch the online interview on October 3rd, please do. The book's fantastic. And if you don't have time to read the book, just ask Kevin for his notes because he is incredible with the reading log. And it's like cliff notes for all the rest of us. So just go ahead and, and pick that up. Crispin Mayfield will talk about how part of how we connect and relate to God, how we read the Bible, how we do that has so much to do with the way in which we've been loved or not loved in this world. I had a friend years ago who said, I believe in God, and I believe that God is a God of love, and I have this picture of God where God is sort of standing, this is an anthropomorphic picture, standing at the top of a stairwell, bidding me to come with loads of presents and gifts in God's arms, but behind is a bat, a club, just in case... I also need 
some discipline. Now we might go, well, that's messed up. But isn't it true that many of us have these things in our life that have maybe gone unexamined? So I'd like to tell you that when I read the text, I try really hard to read it through love-shaped goggles constantly. And I'm going to tell you why and how I've got to this point. I'm going to, first I'll tell you, it's the Bible. Okay, just so you know, I'm not, I didn't make it up. It's just the Bible. But besides that, I actually had an experience growing up where I was loved and cared for. And I grew up believing that I deserved love, that I could love others, that I was worthy of that love, and that the world could work like this. I grew up in a wonderful, loving church that when people told me who were not in the church that I couldn't be a pastor, I had a whole bunch of pastors come alongside me and go, oh, absolutely, you can be a pastor. Let us help you figure that out. And it was, it was well done. I grew up in a family where I believed my parents loved me. I remember going and visiting a communist bloc country as an exchange student in 1990 and watching people walk around and thinking, how different do I walk in this world than people who've been oppressed and people who are living in fear? And I thought at the time that probably the reason why I walked like this was because my father was a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. He'd already told me that he'd updated his passport so he could come get me if necessary. Um, Marines, nobody's left behind. I thought maybe I walked like that because I had a U.S. passport in my pocket. But I'll tell you the reason why I walk like that is because I walk around this world believing that God loves me. Not because I'm great, but because of who God is. I grew up in a church where regularly we said verses like this from 1 John 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And whoever does not know God does not, know, does not love, does not know God, for God is love. We even had a song. Anybody? Beloved, let us love one another, love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. Yeah? Very nice. I grew up with these verses shaping my life. I remember asking my mom, why do we go to this church instead of that church? And her response was because of the grace. Because of the grace. The love was not just connected with God just loves you all the time, you know, no matter what, no matter what you do. But that when we failed and we got to say a public confession of sin every Sunday, which might sound super heavy, but it was so lightning for me because I knew as a kid that I had messed up that week. I would tell this a terrible example of where Rubik's Cubes were brand new on the market and everyone had decided that if you had a child that could figure out a Rubik's Cube, your child was a genius. And I really wanted my parents to think I was a genius. It was not a true statement. I just really wanted them to believe that. And so I figured out, because I am ingenious, how to <laughs> peel the stickers off and then restick them back on and pretend I had solved a Rubik's Cube. I mean, not for nothing, they probably were figuring it out when I was like, let me, I'll be right back, right? And then I would go and do I can't, I can't do it while you're watching. <laughs> and go and fix it, right? And, and they made me confess to my teachers and everything. It was super hard. So I knew that I messed up regularly. And I loved being able to go to church and say, 
God, I messed up this week. And the grace at my church was just, you're forgiven. God loves you, period. Can't love you more than God loves you right now. You can go be Mother Teresa. God won't love you anymore. If you go and you do the worst thing imaginable, God can't love you less. Might be disappointed, can't love you less. God just loves you, period, period. That was the framework for God in my life. And so when I was in college, I had this great blessing, and then college, and then after, of going on some spiritual direction retreats with Brennan Manning. And I don't know if you're familiar with Brennan Manning, but these were um, incredible retreats, sometimes a week long, a couple weekends long, and I went on my own a couple times and went with my sister a couple times and had this incredible experience of trying to listen into the heartbeat of God. And I don't know if you're familiar with Brennan Manning of Blessed Memory, passed away in 2013. He was an alcoholic. He, has, he was a disgraced priest. He left the priesthood to marry somebody that he ended up later divorcing. He was a mess. And he would stand in front of communities all across the world and say things like this. God loves you as you are and not as you should be. Do you believe this? God loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity, that God loves you in the morning sun and the evening rain, that God loves you without caution, regret, boundary, limit, or breaking point, that Jesus loves you when your intellect denies it, your emotions refuse it, and your whole being rejects it. Do you believe that Jesus loves you without condition or reservation and loves you in this moment as you are? And I remember sitting in those spaces and thinking, oh, yeah, I know Jesus loves me. Sure, I got that. I I was raised with the heart-shaped glasses. I have this. And still I did not understand, nor do I still think I understand today. I remember in that moment and one of those spiritual retreats breaking down and sobbing because I realized that with all the love that my parents had given me, I did remake God in their image. And as much as I believed that they deeply loved me, I actually didn't think they liked me. And in that moment, I thought, but God likes me. Whether I get straight A's or not, God likes me. And it was a deepening of the understanding of the divine love in my life. That Jesus loves all people, unlike ourselves. The Father of Jesus loves us, not for what God finds in us, but for what lies within God's self. And it's not because we are good that God loves us, nor only good people God loves. It is simply because God is love. Now, I know many of us, when we're presented with this sort of audacious, insane love of God in our lives, we think, That's good for you, but you don't know my story. You don't know how unworthy of this love and this grace and this forgiveness that I am. You don't know what I've done. If only you knew, you would know that there's no way that I can receive this love in my life. You see, we often reduce God to human dimensions, to manageable ideas, Human reason seeks to understand and to reduce everything in its own terms. And we have attempted to do this with God's love too. And we have failed because we keep thinking God's love is like our love, which is why we think that people aren't worthy of it, that we aren't worthy of it. 
But you guys have to remember that Jesus gives this command to a room full of disciples, disciples who will fall asleep as he prays, as he begs them to stay awake, disciples who will abandon him, who deny him, and who even betray him. Jesus gives this command. It says, as I have loved you, love one another. The French Easter liturgy is entitled, The Love of God is Folly. God's love doesn't make sense. And when you and I believe that we have to become worthy in order to deserve that love, we have misunderstood the love of God and made it into the image of humanity. The question is not, do you believe in love? The question is, do you believe that you are made in God's image on purpose with intention and that God loves you and that God likes you? Do you believe it? Do you know it in your knower? Is it deep down here? There was a nun several years ago who referred to God as God of the belly button. Like, do you know it here that God loves you? delights in you, can't get enough of you. So how can we begin to understand or experience this love? First of all, we can read a thousand books on it. We can hear pastors preach on it. We can try to study it and write it. But I really like Gregory of Nyssa. Concepts create idols, and only wonder comprehends anything. People kill one another over idols. Wonder makes us fall to our knees. Are we willing to simply to move to the time where we just go, okay, I will begin to believe in the wonder of God's love in my life. Years ago, my my last office that I had, I hung very specifically a very loud clock. Very loud. You could hear it ticked. It was cheap. It was a VeggieTales clock. It was a loud VeggieTales clock that hung up there on my wall. And I could hear it ticking all day long. And because it had become part of my prayer practice to spend about 20 minutes, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes in pure silence just listening to the clock. And imagining that I was listening to the heartbeat of Jesus. That's all. In silence. No words. No prayer, silence. But it's a prayer, isn't it? To imagine yourself crawling up in your holy and prophetic imagination onto the lap of the rabbi, or that you're John, the beloved disciple at the table, leaning your chest, your head on on Jesus' chest and listening to that heartbeat. And so my hope for us this week, this month, this year, is that if you are having struggle believing that Jesus loves you so, that you find a very loud clock. I'm sure there's some app you can figure out. And you simply try to be silent and be with Jesus. Just ask Jesus to be with you. Be with Jesus. And if prayer is too loaded of a word for you, let's call it holy loitering. Is that all right? Or meditation. I don't know what word you need to use. If prayer has become some sort of list of things that you want from a holy Santa up on high, feel free to disregard that, but don't toss out two to 3,000 years of spiritual and emotional tending of the human soul. Instead, deepen and just pursue silence 
with the lover of your soul, the one who loves you more than anything you can imagine. Theologian Karl Rahner says this, some things are understood not by grasping, but by allowing oneself to be grasped. Are we willing? Are we willing to show up? Are we willing to say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want your presence in my life. I want to know the love that you have for me. I'm willing to show up. And are we willing to trust and believe that Jesus waits there for us? Longing for our presence. Thrilled that we've come. I'll be honest, for a long time I was in sort of like a dark night of the soul. I know you're not familiar with any of these things. And I felt very much like Jesus was showing up for everybody else but not me. I just don't know I'm a pastor and that happens, okay? They don't give you an extra like, Jesus will always be right here for you divinity card. It doesn't happen. And I remember somebody was doing a spiritual direction program and they were saying, hey, why don't you go on a, I really got irritated with this, you guys are going to, and already it's going to like tweak some people out, just letting you know. They were like, go on a date with Jesus. And I was like, ah, I'm so, I hate all of it. I'm sorry. Sorry, Jesus. I just didn't like any of it. And, um, and the reason why I didn't want to do it is because first I was like cheesy. I'm like, Jesus, not my boyfriend. He's the divine God on high. I'm not going on a date with Jesus, right? So I got really irritated about the whole thing. And then when I was I had to turn in a journal entry. It was for a course, actually, like I was doing a spiritual direction course. I have to like journal about the fact that I have gone on this date with Jesus. And as I start to journal, I realize that the thing that's really holding me back is that I don't think he's going to come. I mean, yeah, it's cheesy and I still don't like that. But I really, that was the thing. I really didn't think he would show up. But he did. Do we believe that Jesus wants to be with us, that that the Father is fond of us, that Jesus carries your picture in the wallet, anthropomorphically speaking, of course, right? Have you ever grow up, anybody grow up where your parents didn't yet have a smartphone and they actually carried photos of beloved ones in wallets? Anybody? Yes. I loved, as a kid, seeing my grandpa open up his wallet to pay and spying my picture in the wallet. I loved that. I loved making sure every school year that like they carried the pictures in the wallet. I was thinking about the same thing about how much that spoke to me without speaking anything to me. That wherever I went, my family carried me with them. Even last night I was with my parents and my dad, I'm going to tear up. He was working really hard to make this very lovely meal for us all. He's got some significant back pain. So as he's preparing, I can also see him like trying to manage the pain. I was like, Dad, this is a feast. Like, it's ridiculous. It was so good. Like, crostini with homegrown figs and cheese and prosciutto. I mean, like, it was just amazing. And homegrown, I mean, it's incredible. I was like, it's just us. And he said, I just wanted to do something nice for the people most important to me. I was like, and he used to carry my picture in his wallet. Now he has an iPhone, so he can use my picture on his iPhone, right? I grew up believing that God was so fond of me. That God would carry God, my picture and around with God. That God hung my work on God's fridge. If you haven't seen a snoodle's tail, just go YouTube it, Google it. A snoodle's tail, Phil Vischer, or read the book. It is the best. But there's a scene at the end of like where the kid has made something and God's like, this is beautiful. This is for my fridge. I just grew up believing God would take not just my work, but your work too. 
Everybody, everybody made uh, in the planet, every single person, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, atheist, everybody, didn't matter. God loves everyone and that God delighted in all. God liked all. God, the Father, is fond of all. And I think this is what this verse has come to mean for me, that when they'll know we are Christians by our love, it means that we're walking around in a world where there isn't enough love, where there's condemnation, where there's unforgiveness, where there's abuse and pain. And we walk around looking at one another and saying things like, the father's fond of you. The father's so fond of you. What would happen in our own lives? How, I, how might we differently treat ourselves? How might we treat others? How might, we, how might the world change? If not that they knew we were Christians by our love, but if we knew we were Christians by our love. What if we knew it? How might we live differently? What if we knew we were Christians not by our right doctrine, not by our good theology, not by our righteous works, not by anything else than by reflecting the love of the Father to everyone we met in this world. How might the world change? Love calls forth love. And the more we know that God is love, the more rooted we are in the love of God, the more we walk in the truth that we are loved by God and deserving of love simply because God loves us. And the more generously we will live then with our faith and practice it, the more we will love others. When you walk around this world just believing, believing that God the Father is just so fond of you, loves you, but not just you, every other person you ever lay eyes on, God sees them with this beautiful lens of love. They will know you are my disciples by your love, Jesus says. Christianity happens when people experience the unwavering trust and reckless confidence that comes from knowing the love of Jesus and then share that love with everyone they meet. That's when it happens. It's not just a set of statements of faith that we believe. There's lots of people who can check all those boxes, but when you come to them, they're the most unchristlike people you've ever met. It is not only believing, it is also willing to experience and dive deep ourselves into having that experience with Jesus and then reflecting that experience back out to all. 1 John 14, 4 says this, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. God is love. I often feel very much at a loss for trying to ex explain or share or live out this love. I get angry in traffic just like the rest of you guys. I get really frustrated. I fail in my home with my family, with my friends, with my church regularly. I often don't feel loving towards somebody at all. 
But then when I remembered this verse and others like it, 1 Corinthians 13 and others, God is love. Then I'm like, okay, if Jesus has commanded me to love others, then Jesus has got to help me do that. And so I just decide if God is love, then all right, Jesus, this person in front of me, I don't really feel very loving towards them. And yet you love them. You love them with an everlasting love. You have created them in your image. You are fond of them. You like them just as you are fond and like me. And as you love them, would you please give me that love for that person? This is where the role of the Holy Spirit comes in my life, where I just kind of go, all right, Jesus, I'm just going to avail myself, and you, please, help me love that person. This is not just us on our own. We're in a community. We get to do this together. And that doesn't mean that I'm saying don't have boundaries, don't, nothing. I'm just saying Jesus loves that person, and you can ask for his help in being loving. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made in perfect love. Jesus is not looking to condemn, as Pastor Kevin Emeritus was sharing with us not re- just not long ago. Jesus is looking to love us, and there should be no fear in this love. Friends, they will know, we will know, that we are his disciples, that we are Christians by our love. And that love that we share with others is not in our own strength. That love that we share with others is what we see reflected in the life of our Savior. And we pray for the Father and then through the power of the Holy Spirit to give us that love for the world that we can reach. Amen? Amen. Jesus loves you. Very fond of you. Delights in you. Brags about you. Loves you. And invites all, invites and welcomes all to the table to sit with him, to dine with him. Jesus waits for us here. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All are welcome at this table.